I'm Melissa McKenzie, publisher of The American Spectator. I'm Scott McKay, uh, contributing editor of The American Spectator and publisher of TheHayRide.com and Reviver.com. And this is The Spectacle Podcast. Today we have with us special guest, Dave Catron, who I've been saying it wrong for all these years. And thank you for joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate it, David. How are you doing? I'm doing so good, I can hardly stand it. <laughs> well, the reason why we're having you on this podcast is because of your last greatest piece at the American Spectator talking about Donald Trump, and you kind of have a theory about what is happening um, right now with the media and Donald Trump, and maybe you could share it with everybody and tell us what your thoughts are about it. Well, uh, obviously, you know, we've got somebody in the White House who is going to have difficulty um, beating almost any candidate out there. Um, and he's announced he's going to rerun. Biden thinks he's, he's advertising himself as somebody who can, is the only guy who can beat Trump. And, and really what he means is Trump is the only guy I can beat. And so uh, the, the media, it, 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 I have to get my tinfoil hat on here, but the media and the Democratic Party and the White House and the Democrats in Congress are essentially trying to keep uh, Trump uh, in the public eye, give him as many free earned minutes on television, making sure he's in the headlines above the fold as much as possible, and to do whatever they can do to aid him to get the Republican nomination. And in and, and, uh, investment terms, this is called a pump and dump. In other words, they jack up the value of pump Trump stock. They get him the uh, nomination uh, for the Republican Party, and then they switch on him. They sell the stock, right? They're gonna, not going to give him all the free time that they gave him in 2016. They're going to try to see if they can't hang two or three indictments around him, maybe even a conviction. And by the time uh, we get to the election, uh, Trump's stock is going to be, you know, at zero or close to it. And he's going to get all the, his usual people who are very loyal to him, but he can't win with those people. And he's more than that. And the independents and just regular folks who are not uh, uh, political junkies, they're just not, they're not going to be comfortable voting for a guy that's got all kinds of indictments, all kinds of negative stuff because they're going to carpet bomb him. And so um, that's the basic theory. Uh, they want to run against Trump and they're going to do everything they can to make sure that uh, he gets the nomination for the Republican party. And they think that Joe can probably beat him. Uh, from the basement, assuming that Joe doesn't have a cataclysmic uh, health issue. Is that you, clear? So this is a this is a for you a tinfoil thing hat thing. I think that that's just the facts. My my tinfoil theory about all this goes one step further, which is that I think that the powers that be on the left think that Trump is the only one who could believably lose in this environment while they're rigging the system. 
So like my, to go one step further, like if it were Ron DeSantis, people wouldn't believe in any circumstances that Biden could win. Um, so if they messed with the election, like they want to do, that there's there would be no cover for that. But if Trump is running, they could plausibly lie and say Biden got 81 million votes again or something, even against. Right. Trump. But he's the he's the <laughs> only candidate that they could say that with. I don't know. What do you think, Scott? Um, well, a couple of things. For one, uh, I don't think any tinfoil hats are required, necessary, or even appropriate here because this is clearly. Um, a media strategy. Um, I, you know, I, and of course, David did an excellent job in his uh, spectator piece from Monday that everybody really ought to read and we'll make sure that in all of the places you see this, we'll have a link to the, the, the piece underneath um, the video. Um, but, you know, we've seen evidence of this Going back years, I mean, if you, you go all the way back to Claire McCaskill running for re-election in the Senate in 2012, I want to say it was, um, she basically selected Todd Aiken out of the Republican primary in the Missouri Senate race that year um, and had third party spins um, essentially coming up with the message, you know, Todd Aiken is too conservative for Missouri which you know, all the conservative voters in the state not knowing where this was coming from were like, ooh, well, if, you know, if they think he's too conservative, then that's the guy I'm looking for because I don't want to elect another rhino, right? And so they got Aiken into the, into the, the general election. And you know, immediately after that, he um, stepped on a rape talking about abortion and saying, well, you know, if you, ra if you get raped, you're not going to get pregnant, which was some 40-year-old, kind of wives' tale thing that he thought was medical science. And Aiken was not very smart, and Aiken was a bad candidate, but he was the one that McCaskill wanted, and she got what she wanted. And, and you know, even though, even though the GOP completely abandoned the guy, he still didn't get beat by all that much. Um, so, you know, that was sort of the first really wide-open uh, indication that the Democrats will absolutely – medal in Republican primaries in major races to select who they want. I think you could make a very strong uh, argument that both John McCain and Mitt Romney were products of media manipulation of the GOP primary. I mean, no, I, I, to this day, I can't find anybody that wanted McCain to be the nominee in 2008. Like, I can't find anybody that actually wanted that. It ended up happening anyway. Um, largely because you had Democrat crossover voters in places like South Carolina who, you know, gave him some momentum and, you know, the field was very fractured and it didn't take much for somebody to seize the, the, uh, the front runner status that year. But, you know, Mitt Romney was, I mean, nobody wanted Romney either. And we got him largely because the mainstream media beat down every other challenger in 2012 and specifically Newt Gingrich who by you know, resume and ideology should have been the nominee. Um, now, Newt had flaws, but I mean, when you match Gingrich up against Romney in terms of who a Republican voter would be more comfortable with carrying the standard, there's no question which one's better. And, and yet Romney was the nominee largely because of you know, media support. Um, you know, and I think in 2016, it's no, there's no question that they were trying to do this with Trump. I mean, 
he got absolutely all of the oxygen in the room in 2016 during the Republican primaries. And, you know, that was the best field by resumes of really any major political party in modern times. And Trump blew away the field. Now, he did that on the basis of the Republican electorate was looking for something totally different than what the party had shown them really since Reagan. Um, and Trump was the yep. furthest departure from that. So that was a real thing. But this was a guy who came into it with no organization, with no you know institutional support whatsoever, didn't even really put that much money into his campaign from the very beginning and won the entire thing on earned media that they were more than happy to give him largely because there were ratings involved and he was a, a persona. But let's, let's not forget, they thought Donald Trump had absolutely no chance of winning in 2016, and that's why they wanted to make him the nominee. Now, it didn't work out for him. I think there's a very good argument that it won't work out for him in 2024, as, as, as Dave says in his, in his piece. But the question that, you know, are they trying to pick their opponent? I don't think there's any doubt that they're trying to do it. And I think, you know, they did it a lot in 2022 in the midterm elections. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the pump and dump yep. thing is absolutely real. And I think it's an absolutely brilliant point that Dave makes. Um, and I think that, you know, the question is, should this influence your vote as a Republican primary voter? And, and I don't think we have an answer to that. Maybe we can discuss that question uh, in this podcast. Well, Dave, do you think that the support for Trump is as robust? I think that, you know, people should choose the person they want to vote for, you know, and not base it on the Democrat strategy. But they, they will do the crossover thing in Georgia. The congressional rates race down here. Um, the, um, they had a guy west who was challenging Sanford Bishop, and uh, they had a runoff. I live in a small town, it's only 18,000 people. I, I, when I walk up and down the street, I, I see people, I know who's a Republican, who, who's a Democrat. And uh, the runoff in the Republican um, uh, nomination race, the primary, uh, there were a lot of, of Democrats going in there and voting for West to run against Sanford Bishop. West was the Republican. I'm like, we, we, met, we met him coming out of the, the polling booth saying, so what are you doing here? These are, we're Republicans. They're like, oh, we just stopped by, you know, nice seeing you. And, uh, and so there's, there's no doubt that they do that. Uh, I have to confess, that, you know, going back to the tin hole full hat thing, every time I write something like that or say something like that, I'm like, you know, is this me? But I like to, to hear what Scott's saying is like, okay, at least there's two of us who believe this stuff, right? There's way more than two. Dave. There's I three mean, of really. us, at least on this podcast, who believe it. My, my, the, the part of your piece that I'm not sure about, you know, you, you kind of end where um, saying that, um, that the Democrats should be careful because the same thing that happened in 2016 could happen again. And what I'm wondering this time is that there's a certain segment of the base that is super, that Trump will never lose. And right. anyone who competes against him is going to have to overcome that percentage and then go beyond. Um, right. I feel like there, 
is still some weakness. I think the Democrats aren't wrong that Trump is the most likely to lose to Biden of any of the candidates or supposed candidates who exist. I get the impression, though, when you look at it, it was strange to me because we had all of these uh, polling, you know, polls that had Trump and uh, DeSantis closer. And then like last week, all of a sudden, Trump's blowing him out of the water everywhere, even though he goes to Iowa and has essentially no one show up to a rally. I, I get the impression that the support for Trump is super wobbly outside of the, say, 30% of the base that he really has sewn up. It, but I, that's just an impression I have. I don't know that what, you know, kind of, there's a lot of people saying, if there's no one else, of course, I'll support Trump. Yeah. And, but I just wonder if he would be their first choice if they could choose. Well, and you know, the well, other issue is the more candidates you get in the race, the more it splits the non-Trump vote and makes Trump the nominee. Right. Right. Well, so that's my pen's getting that, ready to get. It's like, like Nikki Haley is clearly, and I, I think the Vivek dude might be too, um, splitting that, the other, you know, the other sections of the vote. You know, even if it's a couple percentage, it's a couple people, you know, a couple percentages not voting for DeSantis. What well, do you think delegates. about that, that yeah. David? Do you think, you know, what's, what's your theory there about the support in the Republican Party for Trump? Do I think it, it is less than it was in 2016 and 2020? Yeah, I don't. But... I, I, think, I, I think his support is pretty solid. I think it's, it's pretty much exactly what it was. Um, and uh, you can pretty much count on the, the 2020 people showing up again and voting for Trump again. I, um, I think that um, this is it, it largely, whether or not he wins uh, to some degree is going to be the fact that he's not running against uh, a faux candidate. I mean, Bi Biden has a record, which is already cataclysmic. By the time we get to the election, God only knows what the economy is going to look like. You know, we're, and we may have like a, a, you know, we may be on the verge of war three. So, and there's a lot of other bad stuff happening, we, you know, and, and uh, so it's not like he's running against Biden can't do the basement uh, thing again, and he can't point to any real accomplishments. And so uh, Biden, you know, they did a pretty good job of not making Biden compete, you know, because of the COVID thing. Uh, this time he's not going to be able, he's not going to have COVID, right? I don't think. I mean, maybe they'll have monkeypox. I don't know. But I mean, the the, re <laughs> the reality is that Biden is so bad already that um, uh, he's. I mean, I, I can't imagine any adult going in there and in, in, in the polling booth and actually voting for this man. He's scary as hell already. What's he going to be like a year from now? Okay. So so then we've got 
Trump has got a solid base. These people are going to vote for Trump, you know, rain, shine, mud, or blood. And then you've got the people who are actually going to decide the election. They have the independents. And the independents are like, okay, Trump is uh, eccentric, let's say. All right. He talks too much. He says a lot of stuff that is inappropriate. But, you know, at least we know he's sentient. Right now, we don't even know who the president is. Okay. Right. Is it Dr. Jill? Is it, you know, some, somebody that, whose face we don't know? Is it Barack Obama? They, nobody knows. And they know things are going badly and they're going to be worse by the time the election comes along. And so I think that if Trump um, it can manage to uh, stay out of jail <laughs> and uh, right. uh, uh, act relatively sensible uh, during the uh, post-nomination process, because I believe he's going to get the nomination without much difficulty. I don't, I don't think DeSantis is going to be able to beat him. So uh, it, it, in the post-nomination period, if, we, if, if the public sees Biden clearly descending into la-la land, and Trump is there, he's still got plenty of energy, his mouth is running just like it's always, it always has. But at least he's there. You know, again, as you said, Nate Silver. Nate Silver going to think he said. You see, he probably won't win, but he can win. And then when he did win, they they carpet bombed Nate Silver. They did everything but tar and feather the guy just because they said he Trump had a chance. They were saying, oh, he, you said Trump had a chance, therefore he won, okay, which is ridiculous. But I mean, that's that's what they do on the left. So I think I think it's possible that Trump could win again. And, and it's not like, the, you know, because I, I sent the email to you guys yesterday, the last time we had a, a presidential candidate trying to uh, win a second term that is not consecutive was Grover Cleveland. And Grover Cleveland, he had scandals, including sex scandals, like fleas. All right. And and he won, you know, after, after four years of, you know, being, and, and he did, he didn't get media coverage, you know, in 1885 or 1886 right. or whatever, you know. So uh, I think it's possible that Trump could win. I wish, I wish, this, this is, you know, I wrote an article about this two, three articles ago. I wish that, that Trump and DeSantis would run together. I don't think it's going to happen, but um, if, if, if they ran together, they, they would steamroll just about anybody. I mean, they, they would probably even be able to beat Michelle Obama, who may wind up being the, 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 uh, the Democrat nominee anyway. That's another yeah, here's, here's my question about all of this, though. If Trump was so strong, why were the midterms such a mess? I mean, why didn't Trump candidates do better? You know, other than the the establishment GOP not funding them, and you know Mitch McConnell preferring to lose seats than to give money to people he didn't want to give money to, um, it, it seemed like the left was far more animated than the right, and I worry about. I don't that. think, I don't believe this 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 general um, sense that the Republicans did badly in 2022, okay? You have to remember, say the House of Representatives, 
what happened in the House of Representatives, people overestimated the amount of people that were going to be that were going to flip seats in 2022, forgetting that they had already flipped 14 seats just two years earlier in 2020. So part of the red wave, we got in advance, you know, and um, and so if, if you count the number of seats won in 2020, which was pretty unusual when you have the, the, the president's party win and they lose 12, 13 seats. All right. If you add those 12 or 13 seats to whatever it is, 12 we got in, in 2022, then that's not too bad a showing. So I, I, that, I wasn't all that surprised that the, the win was that small. And I, I believe that um, if they had pushed uh, crime more than they did. I mean, crime is crime is what got us four flips in New York. You know, okay. Patrick or whatever his name is, Sean Maloney, uh, got you know he was running the whole re-election operation and he got knocked off uh, by a guy by the name of Lawler, I think, in New York. And so, uh, and and now, and when you go down to the to the local races, the you know. Uh, our governor here in Georgia won by eight points or something. Obviously, DeSantis won by like 19. Uh, and and uh, the, you had school board elections all across the country where they knocked off a lot of Democrats, a lot of teacher union-backed people. So there was, a, there was a lot of stuff that, I guess my general point is that that election was not a loser for the Republicans. I think the expectations were a little too high to begin with. And so everybody's like, and of course the media keeps saying the, you know, it was a loser, but it really wasn't that bad. I mean, we can, the, the Republicans controlled the house. Okay. It doesn't matter whether it's two votes for, I mean, obviously it matters. You'd better to have 20 or 30 votes, but if you got enough votes to push things through or to stop things from happening, that's not a bad deal. So I, my view of the 2020 election is not quite as gloomy as most people's uh, seem to be. I guess I felt like it should have just been more of a blowout. You know, I mean, with with the structural things in place, um, I felt like it should be because things, you know, gas prices were so high and things weren't going great for the president. But, you know, like Scott always says, America hasn't suffered enough. And and I'm figuring two years. And one of the things, like, I remember someone saying to me on Twitter, um, no one's going to vote for Trump ever again. He cannot possibly. And I was like, four years under a Democrat is a very long time. And they tend to produce misery. And so, like, what you say you'll never do Give it two years and you might be <laughs> hoping. And, and then one of the contrasts is just a human one, which is Trump looks so alive and vibrant comparison in comparison to Biden. Now, some people have said to me, well, he seems to have slowed down some, but I get the impression he's trying to appear like more presidential. Um, but, yeah. you know, right now, uh, rather, although he is kind of flipping off at the mouth again, uh, and we could talk about this because it kind of is related to it. You know, Durham's uh, whole report came out and yep. and this was, you know, which is proving Trump right about everything, which anyone with a brain 
new. Sorry, never Trump, but you know, um, it was brainless that the the people who are saying, well, you know, it certainly looked like this was, could be absolutely plausible. And um, frankly, I think a lot of those people are just being paid just to say that. I think that the whole thing was an operation from top to bottom all the way through. The frustrating thing with the Durham uh, investigation, of course, is that it's it's impotent. I mean, it it went way, you know, however many years it took. Oh, how convenient. Nobody, you know, beyond the statute of limitations, nobody can really be prosecuted for this. And so like, once again, the people on the right feel like, and this is what makes me concerned about people staying home, like nothing matters. Like it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter if we send out a hundred million people to vote. The There's a two tiered justice system. The people who, this is worse than Watergate and the press isn't even covering it because they were in on it. Nothing is gonna happen. and. Even if Trump gets elected, um, it won't matter because he doesn't have the power to really reform anything in D.C. because the bureaucracy is just too big, strong, and immovable. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that, but that that's kind of what I'm concerned about. My view on that is that if Trump gets elected, probably the Senate will go back Republican, too. Uh, because see this here's here's one of the most important things that people uh, have have forgotten about I think and and DeSantis has been talking about this he says it's really important not just to win by like a half a percent or one percent you got to win by eight or ten percent you got to win by double digits that's what we have to do in other words the Democrats in every election they're going to be up to some kind of skullduggery. They've been doing it since the 1850s. I mean, this is what they do, okay? And the only way you can cure that and and, and still not be become criminals yourself, which the Republicans are just not going to do. I mean, the type of person that is a Republican or a conservative, there's certain things that we're not going to do. With, with the Democrat and the left, there's nothing they won't do. But one thing they can't do is overcome, they, they cannot... Uh, harvest enough ballots to beat a 10-point lead. And so the, the, uh, the, the thing is that uh, whoever gets the nomination, everybody, everybody has to be out there voting for one guy, not whining because I like DeSantis better, I'm going to sit home, or if DeSantis somehow manages to come up with the nomination, the, 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 the people who really support Trump, they cannot sit home. I mean, some, you know, DeSantis or somebody has got to make sure they understand. But I think they will. It's it's entirely possible unless you get somebody who is who is really a strong leader. This this is a thing that DeSantis is always beating the drum about. You know, of course the media is going to carpet bombs. That's what they do. They're Democrats. Of course, the Democrats are going to lie about what we do. They're going to call us, you know, insurrectionists and all the rest of this stuff. You can't pay any attention to that you know, stuff. You have to get out there and you have to lead. You have to show the people what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And then once you win, that's all that is is an invitation to keep your promise. And that's 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 basically how he went from winning by a half a percent in um, Florida in 2018 
and won by almost 19% this last time. I don't um, so, see, oh, okay. I mean, I think uh, he also had what, 300,000 Republicans move into the state. I, I do think that DeSantis did well, but I think that a lot of the credit that he's getting is one, he did something that's not been done by the national GOP in all the other states. DeSantis cleaned up the voting stuff in Florida, yeah. okay? That hasn't been done in Arizona. It hasn't been done in Wisconsin. It hasn't been done in Michigan. It hasn't been done in Nevada. It hasn't been done in Pennsylvania. All the places where a Republican has to win. And so I'm setting my sights so low for 2024. I actually think that Biden can win because of the way they ballot harvest. I think it's enough to overcome. And that's why they want Trump, because they know that they could beat him because the because of the uh, illegal things and some legal things that they have enshrined with COVID, um, they, it, it's plausible and people would believe that he, that Biden would be able to beat Trump. And so like, I, I Eve, I don't see that, I don't see those, that rosy picture because I feel like in the states where we would have to win these swing states, the, uh, institutions there are weak and corrupt and in the hands of Democrat um, people in charge of the elections in that state. Uh, the good news here is we know what we need to do. Like it's not this, there's not some mystery about, you know, how the Republicans retake the White House in, in 2024 or when these Senate elections in these states, you know, and I, just to reiterate, what David was saying, the math um, is awful for the Democrats in the Senate in 2024. They've got to defend 24 of the 34 seats that are up, and 12 of those seats are in states that Trump won in either 16 or 20. Um, and it looks like, depending on how things go, and it's way too early to know, that there will be some very, very good Republican candidates running, particularly in those 12 seats. So yeah, you can retake the Senate, but you know, the big issue is, and I, you know, I'm a little encouraged because I'm starting to hear people talking about this, is you know, in states where Republicans control the state legislature and or the governor, you go and you pass the election integrity bills, period. You go and you pass a bill to clean up the voter rolls um, and you go and you, you, know, you limit mail-in balloting if you can't get rid of it altogether. You shrink election month back down into something akin to election day where you can. Um, and you do, you know, you ban Zuckerbucks and you do these kinds of things. Um, and that way you keep the Democrats from being able to go on offense in states that they're currently, you know, in the minority in. In other words, a Georgia, which used to be a pretty solid red state, is now purplish even though at the, at the you know, state legislative level and at the gubernatorial level, um, you know, the Democrats aren't all that competitive, but some kind of way in federal races they are. Um, and a lot of that is because you know, Georgia let its election integrity slip. Well, you know, make sure that they can't do that in Tennessee or Alabama or South Carolina or whatever. And in states where the Democrats have um, the ability to do ballot harvesting and do mail-in ballots and do all of these substandard voting practices, then the GOP is just going to have to beat them at their own game. 
Okay, you know, you're gonna have to get the small town sheriffs out in the, the, the exurbs and the rural areas to, you know, make sure that the graveyards vote Republican or, you know, the most important thing of the bunch is um, turn the churches into ballot harvesting operations, which they're gonna say is illegal, but let them start prosecuting pastors for that. Go right ahead and do it. Right. Like fight that battle and make sure there's money for legal defense funds on things like this, because I think it was in, in 2022, the numbers came out and evangelicals only turned out at a 54 percent margin. How many seats could you have taken if those people had turned out at a 75 percent margin? Um, you know, what, what would have happened in 2020 if their numbers would have been higher than the overall vote turnout percentage? You know, Trump would have won that election going away. Um, and, you know, the thing of it is, I think you got a lot of people who don't really believe in the political process anymore, who are predisposed to be conservative voters. Um, you know, you've got you've got to I mean, at this point, it's not a positive sales job. At this point, it's an apocalyptically negative sales job. Hey, this is the last chance you have to save your country. Are you an American patriot? Are you a Christian? Well, they're going to come and, and put you in a gulag within the next four years, if you let Joe Biden go back in. Is that overheated rhetoric? Maybe, but you know what? I bet it works. And you better not be very um, you know, scrupulous about whether or not you're gonna do it. Because it, on the other side, I mean, look at, look at the level of demonization that the left is willing to put on the Republican party. If you're not willing to see this as a spiritual war for the future of America, then you should at least listen to Joe Biden when he describes it in those terms, which is more than laughable given that Joe, given that Joe Biden has less spirit, no matter how you define the word, of any president we've ever had. Um, uh, but something else that, that you touched on, David, I wanted to bring this up because I, I couldn't believe it. I actually heard this on the radio Monday. Um, Biden was being interviewed about the debt limit. And his like the response that got put on the radio news segment of him talking was so slurred and so unclear and mumbling, you could barely make out the words. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're not going to intentionally do that. Okay. I mean, because it would, it would show up as obvious. So in other words, this was the most lucid quote they could get from him. Right. On the issue. And it wasn't completely on point with the newscast. So in other words, the thing that he tried to say that really was on point with what they were saying, like they couldn't use that. They were like, well, just use this. So when he's not 100% on script, and even when he is, the man is so out of it and so cognitively yeah. dead at this point. And this is May of 2023. Give this 16 more months. Yeah. And what is this guy going to sound like? Um, which is why, you know, you mentioned it's Michelle. Like potential. Like, I take that very seriously because you're going to come to the point with Biden that they just can't fake it anymore. Um, and, you know, and then you get Kamala Harris as, as you know, the one that's going to want it next. And I just can't see them telling her anything but no, even though that's catastrophic for them, because I think they're going to have a hard time with the black vote if they basically tell the black woman, oh, you can't have it. 
So that leaves it like, okay, well, what's your other option? Yeah. And you really don't have one other than Michelle Obama at this point. Gavin so, Newsom. Gavin Newsom. He's not black. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You, yeah, you, everybody does. It, no, it doesn't. Uh, and I'm going to tell you why. Because the, the voting, the people who are deciding are single women. What the Democrats have learned is that the black people will vote for the Democrat no matter what. They have it sewn up. They take it for granted. The the single woman can vote. They turn them out is the question. The liberal vote, but the, the the Dems already have a new operation for this next election cycle. They are scooping up all these votes on college campuses, and it's yeah. unbelievably efficient. I. I, I know this because I have a daughter who was in college and I was, they, for whatever reason, they got my phone number. And so I got all of the get out the vote stuff. It was a really finely tuned operation, except for the wrong phone number. Yeah. But, you know, so like, I actually disagree with you. I don't think that they need a black nominee. And, um, and everybody, here's the thing about Kamala Harris. Black people don't consider her, Black Americans don't consider her real. And so like, you know, tossing her by the side might get somebody uh, a little bit riled for the moment. You know, there'll be a couple, you know, a couple newscasts on CNN. I can't believe it. And then it'll be over. And then, you know, and Don Lemon will be the one, but he would be the one who would say something about it, but he's out on his ear. Yeah. He's the no, one who Joy said Reed's something. Be the one that says something about it. Who? I mean, Joy Reid will be the one that says oh, something. About yes, but I, I mean, mean, remember, MSNBC's ratings are higher than CNN's ratings. In fact, Newsmax's ratings are now higher than CNN's ratings. Um, well, okay. <laughs> see, the, you know, the, well, you mentioned single women. So if Kamala Harris gets gets dumped off the ticket, like, what are they going to think of that? I mean, this is the thing. I, you know, you, to go and you eliminate Biden. I'm going to say something about my my gender. We're stupid. If I, could, <laughs> I I'm with I'm with Ann Coulter on this. If I could give up my vote so no women voted, God bless you. The problem <laughs> is, is that Gavin Newsom is cute, and just like Bill Clinton, he has charisma. And he sleeps around and all these girls are like, oh, I could totally see myself with him. And they will vote for him. I promise you, they will vote for him. So. <laughs> well, I think some will. Well, I, I just don't know if you can turn out the, the kinds of numbers that you're going to need to turn out uh, behind a Gavin Newsom. I just feel like, I, you know, because look, this fall, you're going to have a Senate race in California and he's duty bound to endorse Barbara Lee because he said, he, you know, he, his choice to replace Dianne Feinstein is is uh, is got to be a black woman. Um, and so she's the one in the mix. And it's her versus Adam Schiff, which is likely to be a disaster for them on pretty much every um, every level. I just think it's messy if it's Gavin Newsom. I just, you know, and and this is somebody who the independents are really not going to like. Uh, now, will the independents all stay home? And if they do, then that probably does give you a Democrat president. But, um, you know, and look, Joe Biden was as implausible as anybody you can ever imagine. So I'm, never, I'm not going to say never. Um, but if Gavin Newsom had run in 2020, Gavin Newsom would have been at 2% with most of the rest of that field. 
the thing is, is that I think. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, David. I don't go believe. Ahead. I don't believe. I think they're going to have an enormous difficult. They they will have enormous difficulty getting rid of Biden, despite his obvious problems. And if they wait too long, and then they try to kick Kamala Harris to the curb, they are going to make a lot of voters angry. They're going to make a lot of voters angry. And if we have our nominee can, can keep his eye on the ball and say, look, here's your choice. Okay, you know what it was like until COVID arrived. Things were going pretty well. Okay, you know what it's like since Joe Biden and Kamala Harris arrived. It's been pretty bad. Okay, so, so now you've got this, this disaster and I'm, and I'm telling you, it, it, it's, uh, economically, by health, it's all going to be way worse a year from now. And the independents who, um, I mean, I don't, I don't get how you're in the independent anyway, but, but they're usually lean one way or the other. But at any rate, the independents who are going to decide the election are going to be like, okay, I don't like any of my choices but I do not want to go down with the ship. And that's what the, the Republican has to do, whether it's Donald Trump, DeSantis, or whoever is at the top of the ticket, um, they have to make sure they understand that this, as Scott says, you, you really have a choice. You can, you can keep America uh, or you can vote for the Democrats. You don't get both. America's gone. You can see American going down the drain right this minute. Every time your president comes out, he doesn't even know what planet he's on. His vice president has got an IQ. I mean, if she's got a double-digit IQ, I'm an astronaut. Right. Room temperature <laughs> IQ is the word you're looking for. <laughs> and so, um, you know, uh, I, I think that um, I really believe that... Um, with the right, um, the right sales pitch, which is, you know, I mean, the reason the reason they want against want to run against Trump is because they don't want they don't want uh, Trump running against Biden or his record, because if if the if the, if the election is about Biden or his record, they're dead, and right. Trump is the only person they they can think of. Because they, they can, if DeSantis was, was the nominee, they, they would carpet bomb him too. But it, it, there's just not that much wackiness there, okay? He's pretty calm and he's got an excellent record. And his, and his life story, by the way, is pretty good too. You know, you know, he, you know he, he, I mean, he, he went to college on, a, on a, um, uh, a baseball scholarship and uh, uh, he was batting like 368 or something. That was his batting average in college. You know, I mean, he, he should be a professional baseball player. Yeah, guy's so, a really it, good athlete. And, uh, and uh, you know, he was a, a JAG lawyer and, you know, made decisions on whether they could bomb people in Iraq. Um, I mean, you know, they, it's a really, it's a stellar record. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know that the rollout of Ron DeSantis was uh, at the level that it needed to be. But on the other hand, you know, getting back to your original piece, David, you know, 
he wasn't going to get the earned media that he was going to need for a successful launch because the media does not want Ron DeSantis uh, to be a Republican nominee. I mean, in fact, if you go on Twitter, you can find countless Democrat media personages and others who are, oh, Ron DeSantis is more dangerous than Trump, which, you know, it's, 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 I mean, if you, if you take a hyperbolic view, that may be true. But after what they've said about Donald Trump for the last six years uh, or seven years or whatever, it's kind of hard to, to, to credit that. But the point is, um, you know, and Sonny Hostin from The View uh, actually said this. I know. I know I should. But, you know, I heard a clip of her saying this is, you know, well, he gives you Trumpism without Trump. And that's, you know, there's a certain percentage of the voting public that, you know, that actually likes that. It's like, yeah, it's the majority of the American public at this point. Like, not that you would know in your little freaking view bubble that she lives in. But, um, you know, the, the point of that is, is you've got uh, the media not willing to give Ron DeSantis enough oxygen to catch fire in the race. Uh, which makes it hard for him. Um, and, you know, that, I, I, I don't know that that's a, uh, an accident. Oh, well, it's not an accident. No, but, you know, he's been in Iowa. Did you listen to the speech he made in Iowa? Me too. They're quite, quite good. Um, uh, and because they're doing New Hampshire and Ohio, Iowa first, um, uh, it, it may be like um, uh, George uh, George H.W. Bush and Ronald Reagan. Remember, in, in Iowa, uh, George H.W. Bush beat Reagan in 1980. You know, now Reagan, unlike Trump, he was able to, to make a gag out of it. it you, know, you still think the, the reporters were like, do you still think you're the front runner in the race? He goes, well, not in Iowa, you know, and that's that. <laughs> That's the way Trump needs to respond instead of instead of telling the reporters they're nasty. We could the, the, the viewers can tell the reporters are nasty. He doesn't need to tell yeah. them that. All right. And, and he needs if to, he would lighten up a little bit, I think his potential to win would be so much more. But it's just yeah. it's not in his nature is the problem. <laughs> yeah. That's not ever going to happen. I mean, the thing is, no, it's, no. I mean, Trump is old and set in his ways, too. He's going to do what he's going to do. My my actual concern beyond, you know, the structural problems within the GOP, let's just say Trump does get elected, uh, which I think there's a good chance that he could, and, you know, even with all the other problems. Um, can he staff up the an administration? Yeah. Will people work That's, for him? I mean, look what's happened to anybody who has ever helped Trump. The the deep state, bureaucracy, whatever, has ruined people's lives. Well, yeah. Um, and, you know, like, let's face it. Hiring people has not been his strength within politics um, because he has, he has kicked more tires of the Republican establishment and bought more clunkers than practically anybody I've ever seen. Um, you know, and, and previous, like Reagan had a bunch of Republican functionaries that he had brought in. Um, but for whatever reason, he got those people to actually 
do Reagan things. Yeah. Um, whereas Trump's four years, you, there's almost none of that. I mean, the guy ended up practically all by himself um, trying to run the government because one by one, everybody, whether it's Jeff Sessions or uh, Rex Tillerson or, you know, all of these 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 different people that he brought in that he ended up having to get rid of because they were actively working against him. So the question there is, is like, and I know that, you know, Heritage is out there trying to build a roster of people that they could just give it to Trump. And that really could be a saving grace, right? Because he's going to need somebody to just vet the people and say, here's your cabinet, here's your, you know, presidentially appointed staff. Yeah, just look, look, eat this dinner whole, all right? And, 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 you know, if you got to fire somebody after the fact, fire them after the fact, but you know, don't let Jared Kushner pick your staff and don't, you know, Jared, just, Jared you know, Kushner's not going to be there. He, he, no, he I don't think he will, but they, they I don't know who the 2024 version of Jared Kushner would be. And it makes me nervous. Um, yeah. You know, but anyway, like, that's the point is it's like, you need to have a, a, a almost a shadow government in place by this time next year. Um, that, you know, that you can just slide everybody in because you're going to have to hit the ground running if you can get elected. Um, and in, like, you're going to need to make lightning moves. It's going to have to be a blitzkrieg through the deep state or else you're going to have another Mueller investigation and another soft rolling coup, which is what the Durham report essentially said, you know, proved what was happening. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he's going to have that anyway, though, Scott. For your What's that? He's going to have that anyway. This is my other... <laughs> this you, have, you have to have a defense in place for it, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but even if you do, that doesn't mean that they're... And, and the thing is, if, is McConnell for sure going to retire in this next election cycle? Is that happening? Because uh, if McConnell is still in in his position through 26 yeah so he'll be throwing sand in uh, unless he quits which he could he won't he'll throw sand in trump's gears the entire time and that's only four that's only four years one of the things that's appealing to me and about desantis and i'm of the feeling may the best man win you know i'm never joe biden so you know this is not this is for me a theoretical thing but um desantis would have eight years uh, you know, um, arguably, whereas Trump will have four and he didn't have a quick start before because the Republicans actively worked against him. All of this stuff. Remember, John McCain's the one who delivered the Steele dossier and knew at the time that it was wrong. And so like he had Republicans on the side, uh, you know, right. who were who were thwarting him. And Mitch McConnell doesn't like Trump any better now than he did back then. And so, right. like, I just don't see, um, right. you know, that kind of, you know, confirmation for different, um, you know, all the different spots that were left open in the previous administration simply because um, McConnell wouldn't, al- McConnell w- never went into recess, so there were never recess appointments. Um, yeah. just, he just—he was just a dick, basically, to Trump the entire time. Oh, he totally was. And, you know, at some point, um, Mitch McConnell needs not to be a constant within the Republican power structure. 
at some point we we need to be able to say maybe it's time for you to step down okay now the number is i guess 37 to 10 because that was what mcconnell uh managed as his vote for uh senate minority leader after the 2022 election so you have 10 republicans who are willing to bear his wrath um and vote against him i think there's probably another 10 to 15 Republicans that uh, would vote for someone other than McConnell if the circumstances and the price was right. Um, you may be able to get as many as, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine pickups in the Senate. So does that get you a majority of the GOP caucus in 2020, January of 2025? If it works out right, yeah, sure. Now. To your point, Melissa, you know, Mitch McConnell smells that that's a possibility and you will start to see money being spent in a way to keep people out of, um, um, you know, that Senate caucus, even if that means losing the Democrats. I mean, that's what um, he did last year. I mean, look yeah, well, no, I mean, he's, he's been doing it since 2008. Okay. Like, I mean, this is none of this. Is, we noticed it more in 2022. He has done this. I mean, I, you go all the way back to Joe Miller in 2010 yep. in Alaska. This is, this has been a constant of Mitch McConnell's thing is, is that he has been a traitor to his party at every turn in order to protect his uh, Senate minority leader status in almost every yeah. congressional term that he's that he's uh, been in that role so uh, like you you definitely he is the evil king in the in the high tower okay there's no question about that but at some point the evil king doesn't continue to rule from the tower at some point the tower comes down and frankly um you know if i'm going to give donald trump some advice i mean the number one thing i'd do is, is you know you better either spend some of your own money or some of that money that you've raised you better learn real quick how to build a proper ballot harvesting operation a proper poll watching operation do the thing do the groundwork that you haven't done really at any point during your presidency to get out the vote and suppress the other guys vote particularly out of the graveyards in places like detroit and philadelphia okay get good at that stuff and stop whining about what they did to you in 2020 that would be my first yeah. piece of the second yes. piece of advice is party building from the elected official standpoint. You need to start talking to Republican senators who are on the fence about where the future of the party is going to be and tell them, hey, look, if I'm the nominee, I'm not going to be your enemy. I'm going to work with you. Now, Mitch McConnell's my enemy. I can't do anything about that. But Mitch McConnell will be gone from American politics before I am, assuming I win this election. All right. So I'm the future, not him. What do you need to be on my team? And the, the, the main ask I'm going to make is somebody else is the Senate majority leader when we take the Senate and I'm the president. Those things are not all that hard for a skilled politician to do. I mean, your enemy in this, if it's McConnell, is an 84-year-old man who just spent, what, two months in the hospital from a fall, okay? I mean, it's not, Mitch McConnell's not long for this political world, all right? But somebody like Trump needs to be making the, taking the steps necessary to ensure that when he goes, 
you're the next, you've got the next guy. And that is a level of foresight that, you know, Trump or the people around him simply have not shown, um, you know, and frankly, it might be an argument for DeSantis instead of Trump, because the problem the Republican Party has had since Reagan is that it hasn't been run very well. It hasn't been run on the basis of, hey, let's build a governing majority and let's do the things to move us beyond, you know, the, the New Deal, great society failures of, you know, the old time liberal movement that doesn't even hold sway within the Democrat Party anymore. Like the country, and I, I'm going back into my old revivalist manifesto thing, which... <laughs> Maybe we should give David a thought. A, 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 a fresh yeah, idea. David, go ahead and again, see if you can pick up on any of the stuff I just let out of my mouth. Well, Trump, see, Trump has to do that stuff, and he's actually been getting a lot of uh, congressional uh, endorsements. Uh, a lot of people have come out for him. I don't know how much that is worth, but it's certainly uh, some. Uh, uh, you, you sort of get. The, the sense that he's trying to reach out to these people uh, and maybe he's doing more of that than you're giving him credit for. But, you know, in the end, in the end, uh, he's going to run this election as an outsider, just like he did in 2016. And, and he is an outsider and he does have, I mean, he, he actually uh, submitted a written plan for basically melting the administrative state okay that's one of the reasons i think they were willing to break the law in so many different states to get rid of them because that scared the living bejesus out of them you know right. and um so and 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 they're 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 obviously still very much afraid of him uh because you know we sit around and we, we face oh well you know it's it's gonna be hard for trump to win blah 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 they believe he can win they believe it can win. If you saw some of the reactions, I don't know how much of the reactions that you saw from the CNN thing, where where they gave him all that all that that free air, you know. And and I mean, the, Oliver the, Darcy almost people. got himself fired because he lost his. Yeah, I mean, so much. that's right. I mean, the the but a lot of the people who aren't in CNN, I mean, they were doing podcasts and they were like, "Are you out of your mind?" You know, you cannot let this guy get anywhere near a camera. You cannot let him talk to his people. Mm. If, if you let him talk, you're going to lose. You, That's you, a, you, and, you know what, David, that you're making the most compelling point of this entire podcast. Actually, for me, someone who's kind of like ambivalent, what you're saying is true. His enemies clearly think he can win and yep. don't want to put him. And I would say his enemies in the Republican Party think he can win um, based on the way yeah. they're acting. So, David, when you um, see the next two years, do you think that Ron DeSantis even jumps into this at any point or do you think that he waits? No, he's not going to wait. He's he's running already. I mean, he, mm -hmm. he was, he, he's been in New Hampshire. He's been in Iowa. I mean, he didn't just swing by those places because like, he likes those folks. I'm sure he does like those folks, but he wasn't there just on a random visit. Okay. He's been there both, both states a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, uh, and he's, he's also got a, a, a real soulmate in the, in the, the, the female governor of Iowa, 
who, who basically bills herself as we are the Florida of the upper Midwest, you know, oh, <laughs> and Kevin so um, terrific. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that he's going to get in. Um, I think that if, you know, Trump's already trying to dodge debating him on the stage. Trump, Trump has made two or three um, uh, comments about, well, I'm not going to appear if so-and-so and such-and-such -and -such manages this, or if so-and-so and such-and-such -and -such you know, is, is behind the scenes mm -hmm. working the wheels and gears on the debate itself. I think what he's talking about is he doesn't want to be on the same stage with DeSantis. Mm -hmm. I think Trump is afraid of DeSantis, and, and it's it's this is this is one of the things that that you know when I'm in a less um, optimistic mood, I think why cannot this man see that this? I mean, all he's got to do. I, I don't think DeSantis really wants to be vice president, but he could be talked into it. But, uh, it, but I could talk him into it. If I could get in the room with him and Trump, I could talk him into it because- Really, they could, you think so? They, they, oh yeah, they, they could not lose. I mean, just think about it for a second. DeSantis has already got a, a, a lot of people that would like to see him as the nominee rather than Trump, okay? If, 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 uh, if, but as you say, if DeSantis is the top of the ticket and Trump is not the top of the ticket or even on the ticket, a lot of his voters aren't going to show. Okay, so if you want the independents and the people that, that want somebody young and they'll see a future, you know, Trump and DeSantis could sell this like, I'm getting my four years they took from me. We're going to do A, B, C, and D. And your next eight years are standing right here. He's 44. He can be here for 18 years if he needs to be and still be, you know, together. And uh, the, the problem is, I just don't think, I don't think Trump can make himself do that. But yeah, weirder things have happened. It's hard, hard for him to do that. We, but, but remember that, that, that Ronald Reagan did not want George W. Bush to be the VP. George W. Bush invented the term voodoo economics. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, but in the end, he was like, okay, all right. Bush has got a certain part of the party. He's got people that, that I don't have, including James Baker. James Baker was a Bush guy. He wasn't a Reagan guy. Right. Okay. And, uh, and so finally he bit the bullet and it's not quite as extreme as Trump and DeSantis. But it's the same kind of thing. And in the end, uh, for all his bizarre behavior, Trump is no mean politician. I mean, you know, I mean, he beat Hillary Clinton. You know, <laughs> one, of my, one of the things, my favorite expressions when I'm talking about this, particularly to the many Democrats that are in my family, you know, I'll say, you know, the one thing that Barack Obama did in common and, and, and deserves credit for, just like Trump does, is that Hillary Clinton never got near the Oval Office except when she was Bill Clinton's <laughs> wife. Okay. And, and, and so uh, that was no mean feat. I mean, you know, when he came down the elevator or the escalator in, in uh, 2015, I never believed he had a prayer. 
And when he started getting close to get the nomination, getting the nomination, I was writing, you know, you know, Vladdy will basically let me write anything, you know, and, and, uh, you know, he, he called me on the phone a couple of times. I had written things that were so nasty about Trump <laughs> because I didn't want him to get the nomination. <laughs> he was like, he was like, Dave, you know, I love you, baby, but this is really personal. <laughs> this, 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 this is not politics. Like, this is really personal. And I'm a little queasy about this. You know, I'm like, all right, all right, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll go back to being Dave then instead of, instead of, you know, like, I'll cut this guy's throat if he, you know, I'll shoot him if he wins the nomination, you know, <laughs> which is the way I was. But I, I think Paul, Trump, for all his faults, is a better politician than people give him credit for being. And I think he's got a lot of accomplishments that he doesn't get credit for being. And going back to McConnell, for all of his multifarious faults, uh, he kept uh, Merrick Garland off the Supreme Court. Can you imagine having Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court? God in heaven. I mean, that, don't that, you think that, though that anybody would in in McConnell's yeah. position would have done that? I don't know. No. Chuck Schumer in McConnell's position would have absolutely done the same thing. Um, some other Republican may not have, but no I don't Republican. Know. No Republican. Oh, well, you don't think any Republican would have done it? If, if there had been a different Republican leader, they would not have said no for a solid year. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, what he was doing was ethically wrong. Okay, but he knew that putting Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court was an unmitigated disaster, would be an unmitigated disaster. Mm. I mean, that, that's the reason Obama nominated him, because he knew he would be an unmitigated disaster for the court. Okay, and, 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 and McConnell took a lot of BS from all sides for doing this. This is unethical. You, you, you can't do what you're doing. And he said, Jerking, and I'm doing it, and that's the reason we have a, a, a conservative majority on the Supreme Court now, largely because Mitch McConnell. They kept saying he's he's like, well, part of no, are you not getting this man's not this man's not even going to get a hearing. He's not going to be on the Supreme Court. He's not even going to be able to sit down in front of the Judiciary Committee, and and talk about whether he can be. The, the, on, now, on the Dave, there's a whole lot of things that we know about Merrick Garland now, but you know when he was uh, the nominee for the Supreme Court, and I didn't really know much. Um, I was like, uh, I, I was kind of surprised that McConnell kind of held off on him, but clearly McConnell knew something that we all didn't, and as it's turned out, I mean, he, you know, Garland is. Uh, I think horrendously, uh, I'm going to say something. He's dangerous. Dan well, weak. A and like, it weak. never seems like he's doing things of his own will. It's like somebody's yeah, bullying he's a, him he's or a something. He's state puppet. That, that guy, I mean, I, that is as, as close to an empty suit as there is in the government. I mean, the things that we ascribe to Merrick Garland are things that are being decided and done below him. And he's just the sort of the, the, you know, front man with the putting his imprimatur on things like that. I mean, Merrick Garland barely even knew anything about the school boards association and that letter. All of that stuff was done at the staff level. And then, you know, he, they trot him out there to take the arrows for it. 
um, which certainly should have been impeached over that. But like, if you look at, at what the FBI has done in covering up the Biden bribery scandal, um, you know, that falls on Merrick Garland's desk ultimately, but Merrick Garland had, he couldn't give you any detail about that because he doesn't know. I mean, he's, he's a doddering old man like the rest of David, do you think that's true or do you? No, I don't. I think Merrick Garland is just as bad as Fauci. I think, I think this, this is a, a truly malignant, malevolent human being. I really, and I'll bet you money. Now, of course, I'm not a Washington insider. But I'll bet you money that was well known inside the Beltway before Obama nominated him. I'll bet you money. Well, bear in mind these two things are not mutually exclusive, um, because Joe, you know Joe Biden was a thoroughly malignant, corrupt, evil sob long before he lost his mind, um, and uh, and I think that describes Garland as well. Um, so I'm not saying that he's, a, you know, like he's a, a, a null set or a non-entity as attorney general. I think he's certainly very evil. What I'm saying is the active ingredient in DOJ and the FBI um, is much more malignant than Garland is and is younger, more energetic, um, is probably uh, at the staff level, which... Um, you know, below the presidential appointees. Um, and that's where this stuff is all coming from, this utter corruption in DOJ. Um, because, you know, I, I mean, Obama completely rebuilt the DOJ. I mean, the, oh, yeah, the people that are doing the things, Yeah, the, the people that are doing the things in the Department of Justice that are so patently, unbelievably, awfully wrong. Um, they're all people that went in from 2008 to 2016 um, and, you know, and, and have been moving their way up the, the ladder ever since. And so, you know, if Merrick Garland were to say, OK, I'm going to clean up the OJ, not that he would ever do that. But if he, you know, had an epiphany of some sort and decided, OK, well, this has really gone too far and I think we need it. He couldn't do it because the people that you cannot get rid of are radicals and are basically anti-American revolutionaries that operate within yeah. that, that well, body. The only way to get rid of it is just to, to completely restructure the federal government, largely along the lines Trump wanted to do. Um, but yeah. you know, more than that, for example, the FBI, um, and I now see people who are members of Congress openly talking about this, which I think is very encouraging. It's certainly not a majority yet, but um, the fact that they're talking about it is good, which is they want to break up the FBI, um, eliminate lots of its functions and drive those back to the states, hold on to parts of it, but essentially end it as a federal agency. Um, and I've seen more talk about this with respect to the FBI of late than I've I can ever remember seeing about a federal agency in my lifetime, um, which is a really, really good thing. And it absolutely needs to be done because at this point, I don't know how you can make the argument that the FBI can be saved. Um, you know, we're watching these, these, these Patriot Front guys um, marching around with uh, COVID masks on and sunglasses <laughs> and they all seem to be incredibly fit for uh, for revolutionaries 
Yeah. Right? You know, like they're nobody shows their face. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, um, okay, so are 98% of you guys feds or is it 100%, right? Um, you know, and, and this all starts popping out over the weekend. They had some march on D.C. that these clowns did. And, and it coincided with both Biden and Mayorkas talking about how white supremacism is the, is the number one threat to America's national security. And, you know, like, nobody believes any of this, and yet they're still trotting it out there. And it should well, tell you just how corrupted DOJ and the FBI and all the federal law enforcement agencies are after essentially, what, 14 years or 15 years of essentially Obama, uh, you know, the Obama uh, era of American politics that includes Trump because he couldn't penetrate any of this stuff at the staff level. Yeah, he, I think he was pretty naive when he went in. Um, I, I think that that's the reason his, his project of, of cleaning out the administrative state or the deep state came so late in his presidency, because I don't think when he walked in there, he, I mean, I'm sure he, he knew it was corrupt. I mean, it's pretty obviously corrupt and you don't really have to be a brain surgeon to figure this out. But I mean, I don't think, I, I actually didn't believe it was quite as bad as it is. I mean, I mean, yeah, nobody you know, did. Uh, I mean, you know, this Durham report just confirms, uh, you know, I, I, I've got friends who, who make me look like a, a liberal, okay? And they've been telling me this for 10 years. They say, you do not understand. You do not understand who is running the government up there. And it's not the good guys. And it's not the guys who get elected. And, and, and it's, they all, it all sounded like conspiracy theories to me. But after seeing the Mueller report and after seeing the, the um, uh, uh, I just forgot his name. Durham. Um, Durham, geez. Um, yeah, I, I forgot he even existed until he showed up the other day. I was like, you know, I figured maybe he'd been kidnapped by aliens or something. And, uh, and so suddenly he drops this. But I mean, it just confirmed everything that Scott just said. This this is the, the biggest danger is leaving somebody like Biden or any or, or any of uh, the, the uh, Kamala Harris or, or any of that crew in charge of the White House. You got to have somebody. You got to have somebody in there who is willing to take these people on, uh, even if it means perp walking every damn buddy in the FBI out and putting them in jail or whatever, whatever it takes. I mean, because the, the fact is, if if DeSantis were to win the Republican nomination, they will start working on him the day he walks in the door, if not earlier. And uh, and so and so he. Anybody who wins on the Republican side has, has got to take this on. Uh, it's, it's, it's really their major uh, project in life is to is to defang the administrative state. The, the Supreme Court, by the way, has, has got a couple of cases coming up in which oh, they they're going to start on this. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so uh, I, I think because because the one, the one thing that that Roberts is strong on Roberts is is, is pretty much of a weakling. But he he is he's he's got it in for the administrative state, and so so does so does Gorsuch, so does Alito, and between between if you got if you got a strong Republican president who knows who the enemy really is the enemy within, uh, and and you've got the Supreme Court with a conservative majority 
all who all of these people on the Supreme Court, starting with Roberts, have have basically had a bee in their bonnet about the administrative state anyway. I mean, they they know it's a big problem. They know that the 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 Congress under the Democrats have basically ceded all of all a, a huge amount of congressional power to the administrative state because they can't get their agenda passed any other way. No, no sane person will vote for them if they if they do what they really want to do. So they they, they write these vague bills like Obamacare, you know, and then suddenly you've got, you know, the, the, the little sisters of the poor having to, to, to support 18 kinds of, you know, uh, birth control and, and abortifacients. So um, that's that's a thing that's got to be done. Now that that all requires that somebody on the Republican side gets elected, which brings us back to the original point. Um, yeah. uh, and so, well, I, let me let me jump in and expand on uh, the Supreme Court piece that you're talking about. So we've got the two cases that are going to uh, be decided uh, over the summer. Um, and I don't remember the names of these two cases, but both of them deal with Chevron deference, which is a reference to um, the 1984 case of Chevron versus National Resource, uh, Resources Defense Council, which essentially established that in the absence of congressional law on a particular topic, the, uh, the you know, federal bureaucracy uh, gets to make the rules um, and those are uh, to be deemed as law unless manifestly unreasonable. I don't know if I'm getting the verbiage exactly right, but that's essentially what, what the, the word they use is, is they give the, the whatever rule that the agency passes, they give them, you know, well, I would it's, consider, a, it's assumed that it's that it's that it's constitutional or that it's that it's within the bounds of of, of law. Yeah, they, they give them they give them the benefit of the doubt, which they right. don't deserve. I mean, I, right. I, I dealt with Medicare for 40 years. Trust me, they don't deserve it. Right. With all of these, you know, whether the judge, the, 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 the jury and the executioner, that, that's the way all these administration state, uh, agencies are, whether it's EPA, HHS, whatever it is, that they, this, this, and I believe this court is going to kill it. Yeah, yeah I think well, so. and that's where I was going. I mean, they've, they've already given you a preview of this in the West Virginia versus EPA case that came out um, uh, last year, um, which sent the left in America into an absolute panic. Um, and now that they've seen the oral arguments in these other two cases that deal directly with Chevron deference, um, all of a sudden, uh, after 30 years, they now are super interested in Clarence Thomas's friendship with Harlan Crow, who has never had a case in front of the Supreme Court and is absolutely a non-entity, whether you know he and, and Thomas go fishing and Crow picks up the tab for the trip. Um, and now they, you know, Gorsuch uh, was a member of an LLC that sold a piece of land. Uh, and they're, you know, that's somehow an unethical. I mean, every piece of this is one of these things where you scratch your head and go, like, I don't even like what's so what? Like, why, why is this? Oh, it's an ethical. You know, problems. No, it's not. I mean, you know, the Democrats on the Supreme Court have done all kinds of things just like it. Nobody's ever questioned any of their stuff. Like, why is this even an issue? And the, and the, it, you know, I mean, 
it's never the thing that's out front. It's what's behind the thing is out front, which is we have got to demonize the Supreme Court in an effort to intimidate them um, to stop the, the direction they're moving in where it comes to Chevron deference, because the federal bureaucracy's cheese is flapping in the wind on uh, what happens if you eliminate the, the status quo on you know, regulatory interpretation. There will be a flood into the federal courts by everyone who has been harmed by regulatory rules that put them out of business or that in, impeded the ability for them to do something with the with land they own, or you know, I mean, anything you want to think about. There are plaintiffs who are oh, going yeah. to go to court, and there are going to be lots of lawyers taking those cases because the the recovery could be massive and tons of these things. Well, um, you know what? I think you're forgetting though what who the really harmed party is, and that will be Congress people who will actually have to legislate. Sure. And that makes it hard to get reelected. <laughs> and that's who doesn't want to do their job. And one of the things that Roberts has been absolutely, which is why he gave the inane ruling he did on Obamacare, is that uh, he was like, okay, if the legislature decides this, you know, that's the, they were elected. I have and a cramp in my leg right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> And so then we'll give Dave a timeout. Um, and so that's the challenge that. Um, sure. Well, and, yeah, because yeah, he's basically taken the position several times of, you know, hey, you know, I'm not, you know, don't don't make me do your job. Right. Um, I, don't, I don't know the Supreme Court cares about any of that. Certainly Democrats in Congress. I mean, you know, this has been an unbelievable witch hunt that they have gone on for quite some time. Uh over the last couple of months with respect to the Supreme Court. You know, even to the point where um, you have Supreme Court justices that have to hire private security now because the U.S. Marshals have taken off the case. Uh, because this, is a, this is a bald-faced attempt at intimidation. Right, bald Mayor, yeah, Merrick Garland is not giving them security, is not enforcing the law, around this to protect the Supreme Court justices. And this is why I actually, uh, he Garland looks mild, but I think that David is absolutely right about him. I think he's malicious. The interesting thing about Biden's administration is the number of people who are heading things like Mayorkas is, is clearly anti-American, oh, yeah. anti Citizen. No, I think that's a I think that's a qualification for these guys. No, you no. Don't get a top cabinet position in the Biden administration unless you share that mindset that this country is evil and racist and homophobic and sexist and all these terrible things and that it must be held to the American people must be held to account. That I mean that bubbles through everything that this government does and everything the people who run it say um you know there's no there's not a single patriot in that entire administration the way we would describe a patriot right these people um i mean we're in the midst uh, if you listen to victor davis hansen he talks a lot about this on various podcasts we're in the midst of a revolution 
I mean, you know, it's it's not a shooting revolution yet. Nobody's stormed the Bastille, although you, you could really compare all of the prisoners that are being released in, in, in the big cities. That's the first thing they did in the French Revolution that let all the prisoners out. That's the first thing, by the way, uh, 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 Saddam Hussein. Yep. I mean, this, this is this is not an unusual thing. That's what that's what happens in, in a revolution. Uh, and um, they, they need the chaos. Right. And then they need to save us from the chaos. With more, um, with more, you know, the power to them in order to to, to, right. to reduce chaos. Yeah, and that's what we're seeing, David, with the the southern border. I mean, that's the purpose. Oh, yeah. more than anything is to sow chaos, sow chaos in all the cities, get everybody yeah. angry, so that a, um, you know, a leader can impose order. And the thing is, if the leader is Donald Trump, they're going to be screaming about fascism because, you know, one of the things, you know, around with all the BLM bull crap that where the um, National Guard should have been brought in to calm some of these situations down and it never did because Trump was trying to walk that line of not looking like he was trying to go after black people because he um, was operating right. under the illusion that he would get more black votes. The thing is, is that the black people in these communities whose communities are now destroyed are less safe and are in worse positions. And then COVID made it worse because the teachers yep. unions took advantage of the children and the teenagers who were left to their own devices. So yep. order has completely uh, fallen apart from you know the criminal element all the way down to schooling and um so now it's it's begging for an imposition of order and you know uh well i mean obama you, and his people behind the scenes are causing this chaos no yeah question. i mean if you look behind the you know you open up the curtain the guy spinning the wheels and stuff it's going to be Barack Obama and his no people. Yeah, I no mean question. this. Yeah, and so um, the um, that's but but the thing I think that if if uh, Trump could manage to get himself elected, he knows who the enemy is now. He knows who the enemy is now, and um, the Supreme Court knows who the enemy is. I mean, they're they're marching around the, the Supreme Court just the, the conservative. They're, they're out there in front of their houses again. Yeah. Right. Right. No, they have never. They've never left. There, and it's ebbed and waned, yeah. but it's never and, stopped. And, and every single moment of it is a violation of federal law. Right. Yeah. Every single moment, and nothing right. is being done about it. Yeah. And I, I refuse to believe that that Garland is is being told not to do something about it. I believe. I, I believe Garland is in many ways getting revenge against the Republican. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he's, so, uh, he's, sure, he's doing it. I mean, okay, I, you well, know. you know, we could go on and on about this, but gentlemen, we are near the end of our time here. Uh, David, Catron, Catron, I just said it wrong. Catron. Catron. Uh, so I finally got my Catron. Patron, <laughs> Patron, Catron, right? Catron. 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 Like patron of the arts. Patron, catron. Patron, patron of the arts. Okay. And, uh, so, 
you'll be you're writing a couple of days a week for us at the American Spectator. Your political insight is second to none. And um, I hope everybody will follow you on like Twitter. You're now I want you to say it out. It's what Catronicus. Oh, Catronicus. Yeah. Catronicus. Okay. Uh, I, I wanted to do catronize like I have with, you know, on my email as if so I can say you've now been catronized, but somebody had already taken that from me. So I put Catronicus because I think I was reading a book about Rome at the time or something. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. Okay, so Not that's bad. at Catron, C-A-T-R-O-N-I-C-U-S, is that correct? Yes. On Twitter. And so you can, if this is the first time that you're meeting um, this great writer, you can find him on Twitter and you should be reading what you're writing every week and you'll be smarter um, because you've got, always got interesting theories. And um, in fact, you're one of our most shared writers too. So anyways, thank you for that. I appreciate you being a part of the spectator team, David, and coming and joining with us today. I love it. I love it. I love this. In fact, I'm, you know, if it weren't for the fact that my leg, I think is I'm, I'm going to have to need like surgery on it. I, I think I'm not used to sitting around. Even, even when I write, I, I write standing up. So sitting in a chair, as long as I just did my, my leg just, just seized up on me. But, um, I have, I have a huge time writing these articles and, uh, you know, I'll do this like three times a week if you want. Because I love talking about this stuff, and um, I, I have I'm, I have a family full of commies, so you can't you know it's either you know like we, when we have a, a, a Thanksgiving dinner, we think it's like a success if the police aren't called, right? Because you're one of those families. Uncle Dave won't shut up about politics. <laughs> okay, well, Uncle Dave, we're. We're glad you won't shut up about politics. Thank you for joining us today. And of course, sure. as always, you can find Scott and I at the American Spectator as well. Scott's at Reviver and also the Hayride. So he's all over the place. And um, we thank you for joining us. Again, we said before that uh, if you're having trouble finding us at YouTube, it's because uh, they're playing their games and they don't value free speech. So we're going to places where there's free speech. We encourage you to find us on Rumble. And, and now we're going to try Twitter for the first time. We'll see how that goes. So please uh, like and share. But keep in mind that YouTube is uh, problematic for anyone who values free speech. And for us, almost everything that we say here on this podcast are things that YouTube doesn't like and filters out. So like and share and find us on Rumble, find us on Twitter and all other places, Spotify, so far, iTunes, everything's been great, but not YouTube. So thank you all for listening. And thank you, Scott, again, for being my podcast partner. And uh, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.